Great. Well, tonight we are continuing on in this uh, look. You know, we, we titled it in the beginning of May, Now What? Awaiting the Promise of the Holy Spirit. But it, it kind of feels to me like the past two weeks it's been transitioned into uh, don't miss what the Holy Spirit is doing. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit is doing. And somehow we, we tend to park ourselves as Pentecostals, as um, what the Holy Spirit is doing, not only is that of speaking in tongues and, and so forth and so on. But um, we are going, it is definitely that. It is definitely that. That is one of the elements. But um, we're going to see even so much more happening tonight as we look at this because I find through tonight's portion of the text, uh, the Holy Spirit increases our faith. He increases our faith to this Jesus that we believe in, our faith to, um, to look forward in time as to why do I believe in the Lord that I believe in? What am I here for? What will happen to me thereafter? You know, uh, at one point in time in your life, you considered your future and it caused you to really see your need of a savior. You considered your past and you really realized that I need a savior, you know. Um, whether your sins were of great sorts or whether they were of minute sorts, I'm not here to be that measurement or that ruler. Only God knows. But there was a point in time in your life where the Holy Spirit worked in your heart and so your faith had to grow that you had to take that step to believe Believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that in believing in him, he would make everything wrong in your life. He would change you and transform you. Uh, why? Because that's what the finished work of the cross is. Because Jesus went through a great deal on that cross. He went through a great deal before the cross, as we know, if we consider the Bible studies leading up to our Easter uh, weekend. And so the Holy Spirit tonight, we can see how he grows our faith. And chapter 2 of Acts, if it's not something... It seems like most of us know chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 of the Holy Spirit coming into the room and demonstrating himself but do we know the rest of the chapter oh we know that chapter that peter quotes joel but do we know that he quotes david in psalms do we see what the holy spirit continues to do we can't just stop at verses one through four but we have to know this chapter because it's the very foundations of the planting of the church this is when the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. I don't mean the denomination of Pentecostal, <laughs> the denomination of Baptist, brethren, Nazarene, uh, you know, reformed, free reformed, whatever denomination, Anglican, Presbyterian. No, it wasn't the birth of denominations. It was the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to know Acts chapter 2 and the chapters that follow. But we left off last week at, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Peter speaking to us about what was happening in Jerusalem because there was a multitude that had gathered there and there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned last week, there was a sound and this sound was all obviously heard by many. And so Peter gets up to explain to this multitude and to witness to this multitude exactly what was happening according to the scripture and he points them to Joel and we're going to see in just a minute the very fact that he, that Peter is able to point them back to Joel is also a working of the Holy Spirit but the book of Joel speaks of a judgment time when God was um where, uh, where Joel wrote of judgment to come in the form of a plague and then the following this judgment uh, in the form of a plague that there would be a drought, there would be a time of barrenness in the land and after that barrenness of souls, barrenness in the land, there would be a great outpouring and it said uh, in the latter days and so 
I think of that. I think of the book of Joel and this, this plague that would visit the land. I think of the barrenness in people's lives, the barrenness of souls, and the great outpouring. And, and I say to myself, I know that when Peter began to preach, he is telling the people, we are in those latter days. We are in the beginning of those latter days. But does it not sound a little bit like today? Does it not sound like we, we just came through this COVID? We're not even, COVID now is for here forever and ever, amen, until the Lord should return. Like, let's just accept it as it is. But how many of us, we were seeing it as a plague because it, it hit us globally, right? And as it hit us globally, what happened to churches? Well, we had to quickly manufacture things to get them going online so we could still meet the congregational needs online. And then what happened? We all return, and yet there is that malaise that is hit. It almost feels like a barrenness. Almost feels like it, and 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 I said, Lord, it all it, it just it just seems as though we are in those that last days more and more. So Joel wrote that these things would happen in the last days, and Pe- Peter's telling the, the crowd, listen, these last days that Joel spoke about, they have now begun. I want you to know that it, they have now begun and because as we could understand that the last days begin when Christ ascended and they will end when Christ returns. And so the last days took, began to begin at that time. And so when Joel prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come, what now what we are experiencing and reading this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and those that had been gathered, they began to speak in, in other tongues is the beginning of those prophecies. Because as they're speaking in different languages, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak in those languages, they are speaking that someone over here can hear, someone in that, that language can hear, and people are hearing it in their own language. And so what are they doing? They are prophesying they were beginning to start of that time of prophetic and so the through this scene we see the beginning we already saw it through jesus but now that jesus has gone to be with the father seated at his right hand we are seeing the mighty works of god beginning to be demonstrated through man through peter primarily as he as he goes from what is tonight's title from a wimpy chicken to a spirit led to spirit led boldness from a wimpy chicken to spirit led boldness because he gets up and he begins to speak to to the people the barrenness that is in our soul that time those seasons when we come from being in a dry place when we come from being a place where we're just feeling hungry for something but it's not it's not happening you know like a woman who is longing to to be with a child but she's not getting pregnant and longing and longing and continuing to yearn after that. And yet the pregnancy doesn't come. This barrenness has become alive now before the people. Whatever they were longing for is now standing right before them and the spirit is giving them life and they are able to worship God and they are glorifying God that that barrenness where they were feeling saddened that the absence of their savior has now been replaced with a glorifying and a praising of God so when we see God rightly then we're going to see his infinite love being poured in so this whole chapter of chapter 2 is to firmly establish us in our understanding of what is the birth of the church. So Peter and Paul, 
Um, they, they speak of it all throughout Acts, of, of the coming of judgment by the teachings of, of, of what they would do when they would go from church to church and city to city, and they would share about what was happening. But Peter ends, this is where we left off last week, and Peter ends with this, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone meaning who? Everyone, whoever would come to accept Jesus Christ, whoever would come to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that would cry out for mercy upon mercy upon their soul, mercy upon their life, these are the ones who would surrender themselves, they would be saved. Psalm 107, verses 1 to 6 says this: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west from the north and from the south some wandered in desert wastes See, there's that, way, that barrenness. Finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty. They're so fainted within them. Then what did they do? Verse 6. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. To everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord... If a hurting child, if a child is out in the backyard and all of a sudden they fall down and they hurt themselves and they cry out, Mommy, Mommy, that mother, I promise you, no matter where she is in the house, she will hear her child. If a mother goes into a a nursery and the nursery is filled with an assortment of children, there could be anywhere from three to ten. As if one of them cries, she will know distinctly by the cry of her child that it is her child crying. Not because she saw her child crying, but because she knows the sound of her child. And so anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then, verse 6 again of Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. As a mother knows the sound of her baby when her baby cries out to him, so the father knows the sound of us when we cry out to him. He knows that's melody. He knows the sound of my whimper, whether it's in great distress and I'm calling out to him, or whether it's just a whimper of heart. He knows that's melody. God will not despise. We looked at this verse last week, the contrite heart. What was that contrite heart of Isaiah 66 verse 2? But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That person that is contrite. We said last week, it literally means to be lame. So the person who is contrite realizes that their sin, the weight of their sin has made them lame, has made them in a place that they need to go to God. They need to cry out to God. Trembles at his word. Why? Because we saw how Psalm 139 says that, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and see if there be any grievous way in me. So that person of contrite heart is one who is aware of the damage in their life that was brought on by sin. So if we call out to God, as Peter has said, anyone who calls out upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the reason why God had sent his son, so that anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is dry, anyone that is in a place of barrenness of soul, that they could call out on the name of the Lord and they will be saved. John 7 says this, verses 37 and 39. 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. So what happens when we call out on the name of the Lord? We will be saved. So the gospel was preached that very day. Jesus stands before the people. We sometimes, we limit it to what we see on a Sunday morning. We limit it to the sanctuary setting. But Peter that day stood before a people. If you could imagine for me, with me for a moment, they are in Jerusalem and they have come to celebrate the day of Pentecost. They have come to celebrate this feast. And so there's not just a couple hundred there. There may be 10,000. There may be as much as 100,000 people there. And they have gathered and they have heard something. And so as they are there, there is that typical uproar. Even if it was only 10,000 people, that's a lot of noise. Imagine 10,000 people talking. And they're talking in their native language from the region of where they are. But they have all gathered there in Jerusalem. And Peter is now going to address these people. But before he does, there has been the Holy Spirit coming to reveal himself. There has been a distinct sound. And I talked last week of that sonic boom that I had heard when I was in in, um Florida, when, when the capsule returned into Earth's atmosphere, it was a sound that though, although we were miles away, miles away, that sonic boom caused that condo to tremor. And it, it was a startling jump. And so th- this is what the people had heard. There's the sound of a mighty wind. So there is a sound that draws their attention. It was not just heard by the 120 that were in that room, but I believe that it was heard by the others around. There was also what? There was cloven tongues of fire that rested on each of their heads. And then each one speaking in other tongues. So now as the people come in response to that sound, they're hearing that prophetic word. Praise God. Glory to the living God. Jesus is alive. Only God knows what they were saying in that, lang- in that person's language, but they were hearing them praising God in their own language. That prophetic word went out. It was preparing their hearts for what Peter was going to say. And now Peter has to clarify to these these people, they're not drunk. They're not drunk. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. These people that had gathered were there just seven weeks prior. Seven weeks prior, they were there. And what were they a part of? What was the uproar then? The uproar was then crucify him, crucify him, crucify him as though Jesus was guilty. But now these people seven weeks later are once again gathered. And this time now they're hearing the praises of God in their own language. Isn't God unique in how he is precise in his timing? At the time of the Passover, at the time of the Feast of First Fruits, they were all gathered there and they are part of the, the crowds that are wanting Jesus to be crucified. And yet now they're hearing praises to this same Jesus. All along what was happening, God had set in order his time from the creation, uh, went from the fall of man back in creation, God had established there will be set feasts and set times. Consider Leviticus 23, where it shows of the seven different feasts of God. And he ordained at that time that there would be 
the, the Feast of Pentecost. And at the Feast of Pentecost, it was going to be the revelation that what had happened in the Garden of Eden, when man fell, there was now restitution. And that restitution was his son, Jesus. So God's spirit would work in each person and even in all the different cultures, languages, and tribes that had gathered there that day. And he would prove his purpose. And he would put his stamp on what? The new era that he was bringing in, the new time, the new season. And it was going to be through a demonstration of signs and wonders Peter said it this way. In Acts chapter 11, Peter said, verses 15 to 17, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. What is Peter speaking about here when he says at the beginning? He's speaking of Acts 2. He says, the, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same, spirit, same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Right here, Peter is speaking when they believed in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Peter had told that crowd in, in um, Acts chapter 2. And now several chapters and cities later, he is referencing of a time when the Spirit again came upon the people. And this, this Spirit came exactly how he was familiar as he did on us. So it tells me that the Holy Spirit didn't come for just that time, just that moment. The Holy Spirit came in that fashion to continue to demonstrate his power. And so here we see that Peter, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit's power, goes from that wimpy chicken. I don't want to admit that I know him because they might crucify me to now a man who's risen with power. What is that power? That is the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter 2, Peter now introduces us the focus of his sermon, and that focus is Jesus. Remember I said to you last week, the Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus and Jesus will always point us to the father. And so now Peter gets the dusting out of the way and he's about to narrow it in and slam them in with the crux of the message. He's going to reveal to them. It's all about Jesus. Verses 22 to 24 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the def definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What did Peter do in this moment? He is drawing their attention right here of the Holy Spirit's outpouring. He's saying you, through the miraculous dreams, visions, and prophecies, through the signs, through the wonders regarding the day of the Lord, um, Prior to this uh, moment, he's saying this in, in the preceding verses that we went over last week. And then giving them that invitation. But it wasn't enough that he would do this. You would think it's enough. Okay, he, he, he alluded to Joel. That's great. Now we know that the Old Testament prophecies have come to pass. We know that it's legit. But Peter's saying, no, wait a second. Though this was prophesied in Joel, you need to know something very important. This is about Jesus. He hadn't yet spoken about Jesus. He hadn't yet spoken of Jesus' saving grace. Up to this point, it was his introduction. Have you ever been in a service where the pastor has spoken for a half hour 
And he says, now with that, let's get into the meat of the message. And you're like, wow, all that was the introduction. That's what happened with Peter. He brings them to Joel to realize these are the days that you're in. But here's the meat of the message. The meat of the message is, I want you to pay attention. Men of Israel, hear these words. And did we not see that in John's letter? When the message went forth to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Pergamon and Thyatira and Sardis, in Philadelphia and Laodicea what was it that Jesus said he who has ears to hear let me let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches so Peter is saying here at the inception at the birthing of the church he's saying men of Israel hear these words he wanted them to pay attention And he wanted to draw attention to what they already knew. And this is what they knew. That Jesus' death was a part of God's plan. Jesus, he said this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. By the way, you guys called out to crucify him, but I want you to know it was part of God's plan. It was his definite plan. It was his foreknowledge. At this time, those that had rejected him and called for his execution Peter is saying I want you to know you are responsible for him verse 22 in the latter half in this Jesus delivered up to the def- to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men you crucified him so now this Peter is showing to us a different side of him he is rising up in a boldness in the power of what the spirit of truth He's bringing them to the truth of the matter. And the truth of the matter is God ordained this time for that Jesus was going to die on the cross. And you guys are, you guys are the blame of this. As it said, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But what? God raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. Peter knew that Jesus could not remain bound to death. You and I know that this many years later, Jesus could not remain bound by death. It's not possible that Jesus should remain in that grave, that he should remain a victim of sin or or hatred of man because he would triumph over it. He would triumph over it. Peter used that term, the loosing, loosing the pains of death or the pangs of death. Here, that word, loosing the pangs of death, is literally in the translation birth pains. Birth pains. And so when you consider that usage, loosing the, the birth pains of death, then we could see this, that the tomb was a womb for Jesus. The tomb was a womb for the birthing of what Jesus was doing for the church, for you and I. He was bringing us that grip of that that gift of salvation. There's no way that God, who in his foreknowledge had his plan that his son should die, would leave his son in the hold of a grave. There is no way that God would leave his son in that grip of death. Just as a pregnant woman, when the time comes for her birthing, is not able to hold that child within her womb, nor could Jesus be held in the grave. When the time was set and determined as God had established that his son would break forth from that grave, that his son would conquer over sin and death, there was nothing that man could do to hold him in that grave. Just as a woman cannot hold the baby within her womb past the the time of birthing. We could easily miss what the Holy <clears throat> what the Holy Spirit is doing in this moment. We could easily miss because we see Peter preaching. But 
the same Peter, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is now empowering Peter to be able to speak this truth because they could have all attacked him. They could have all charged on him because he directly pointed to them the error of what they had done. How defensive are you when somebody says you are to blame? You're the one. You should be the one saying, sorry, it is your fault. How defensive do you become? And, and Peter, in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and we could easily miss it. We could easily miss that Peter is just preaching a great sermon, but he's doing it because he has been empowered by the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of the listeners as well he's he's preparing their hearts so you see what's happening the Holy Spirit worked in Jesus because that power raised Jesus from the grave that same Holy Spirit demonstrated himself had many people praising God in different languages pointing them to Jesus now Jesus is being revealed the truth is being revealed because the Holy Spirit is truth because Jesus is truth and Peter's rising up in this boldness and what's happening the hearts of man is becoming pliable because the Holy Spirit is not only working through Peter but he's now working on the hearts of his listeners and Jesus said this. How do we know that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing? Because Jesus said in John 16, verses 8 to 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Jump down now to verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he will speak, he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's exactly what is happening in this scene right now. The Holy Spirit operating through Peter, speaking truth, pointing the listeners to Jesus and the mighty works that Jesus has done, and it's causing their hearts to believe. Do you see how we can easily miss the Holy Spirit? We're still, some of us just park it at those first four verses, but we don't see his weaving throughout the rest of this chapter. Peter goes on now to explain Jesus, the resurrected, in, in verses 23, 25 to 33. And in this, he quotes Psalm 16. For David says concerning himself, Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And, and after this, after Peter quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. He then goes on to say to them in verses 29 to 33 of Acts 2, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter brings their attention here, that although David was speaking of himself, he was foreshadowing the Messiah. 
He was foreshadowing what Jesus did. In Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. Though David is speaking of himself. He's giving us a picture of what Jesus was going to go through. How did Peter know to say this? How did Peter know that David was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ? How did Peter know to quote this psalm? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 46. And it says this, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning where? With Jerusalem. Beginning where? With Jerusalem. Where is Peter right now? He's in Jerusalem. What, what did Jesus say to him? That everything about me written in the law of Moses and the prophets and where the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures, Peter's mind was illuminated to the truth. Peter was illuminated, but in this hour, in this moment, when, G, when Peter is addressing the crowd that is gathered, how is it that he was able to recall what the Lord said to him in that moment? How is it that he was able to recall what David had said in Psalm 16? It was because of the Holy Spirit. It is again the working of the Holy Spirit. See, we can easily miss it. We could easily say, oh, well, he was just a good Jewish boy. No, it was the working of the Holy Spirit because John 14, 26 said this. Jesus said this to his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and what? Bring to you, to your remembrance, all that I have said to you. So in this moment, how is it that Peter is able to address the crowd and bring them back to what their father, their patriarch father David had said? It's because the Holy Spirit has brought it back to Peter's remembrance. How did Peter know it? Because Jesus spoke of it himself and said that this would happen. How was it? Because Jesus touched them and opened their minds to understand. And so there we see again the workings of the Holy Spirit in this text. May we never miss what the Holy Spirit is doing in a service on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday evening, in a prayer meeting. May we never miss whenever your heart is in, enlightened whenever your eyes are opened or you come to that's what that means that is the holy spirit working in you that is the holy spirit bringing understanding into your heart that is the holy spirit preparing the ground of your life so the holy spirit is not limited only to the speaking of tongues but he is continually at work in his services. Wherever the word of God is preached, wherever Jesus is glorified, there is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that equips a man or a woman to declare the word of God. They can't get up and do it in their own might or in their own strength because then it will fail but it's the Holy Spirit. So these Jews that had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost, they were now experiencing what? Their minds being opened. And who was responsible? Not Peter. Not Peter. He was just the vessel that God chose to use. He did prophetically say, upon you I will build my church. He was the vessel how were their minds being opened? Because the Holy Spirit was there. 
the Holy Spirit was present and the Holy Spirit was at work. And so their eyes were able to see the truth of this man, Jesus, who bore the weight of their sin. They were able to see the error of their way. They, the scripture does not point to us that they rose up in defense, but rather their hearts became softened. That could only be the working of the Holy Spirit because the working of the flesh, wherever there is a working of the flesh, there is strife. There is anger. There is outbursts. And so we don't see that happening as Peter is speaking to them and pointing the finger of truth at them. We see their hearts becoming pliable. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. They were understanding this truth. Jesus, who wasn't sin, became sin so that we could now walk in righteousness. We heard it said in our own language, and now we're seeing it displayed, and they were able to believe. So this is the gospel message that Peter preaches. The work that Christ did on the cross was an act of what? Love. Jesus himself didn't become a sinner, but he bore the guilt and the weight of sin. So Jesus took our punishment on the cross, but yet he remained perfect. He took the punishment of our sin, but yet remained perfect. He proved and confirmed this through his resurrection because if there was no resurrection, there would be no proof that Jesus successfully overcame death and sin. Psalm 16, Peter goes on. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Because Jesus bore our sin without becoming a sinner. He remained that holy one. When, when Peter references the holy one, this is the one he is, he is referencing. He is referencing Christ because he could not remain holy without bearing our sin. Or God's holy one should not, should be bound by death, since it's incomprehensible that God's Holy One should be bound by death, the resurrection was absolutely inevitable. That is what I'm trying to say. I may as well just read it so I don't stumble over it. <laughs> but anyways, instead of punishing him for the burden of our sin and the burden um, uh, of all of our guilt and our pain, what did Jesus do? He was rewarded at being in the very presence of God. And he was able to see the fullness of joy. John 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If Jesus never walked in obedience, he would not have known that fullness of joy in the presence of his father. But now because he was in the presence of his father and he could look back on what he had done through the act of obedience, through the act of taking our sin and guilt and nailing it to the cross, through the act of dying in our place, going to, to hell and fighting over sin and death. And now he is able to sit at the right hand of the father, enjoying the pleasures of the Lord forevermore. So when we read that Psalm, Psalm 16, we automatically think David is speaking of himself, that David is referencing himself. Because why? He's the writer of the Psalm. So often when we think of the writer, we think, oh, well, the, it, they're speaking of themselves. But David didn't remain buried. 
So David could not have been speaking of himself. David again was foreshadowing. He was speaking ahead. He was speaking of that which was to come. He was speaking of Jesus. We're going to see that in just a moment. This is why Peter can say in verse 32, we are all witnesses because he saw the resurrected, resurrected Christ and, P, and, and beside him while he was preaching were what? The other 11 and what they also witnessed this resurrected Christ. And so now Peter drawing their attention to their forefather, David, he said in Psalm 16, what they had heard, um, what, what they had heard of him, him saying in Psalm 16 was the working of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses 34 uh, to 36. We're going to see that Peter explains how uh, Jesus is the divine Messiah. In, in verse 34, it says, For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says... Verse 35, or if you want to say Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Verse 36 of Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That passage there, the Lord said to my Lord in Psalm 34, I mean in, in Acts 34 or Psalm 110 verse 1, this scripture is quoted several other times in, in the New Testament. I've just quickly jotted down three of them. Hebrews 1 and 13, yet to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. Matthew 22 and 44. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. What do we see? Once again, David drawing our attention of the foreshadowing of Jesus. When he goes into the presence of the father and the father saying to him, sit at my right hand until I put all of your enemies at your feet. Of course, we automatically, if we could read it as novices and see Psalm 110 and say, okay, P, uh, David speaking of himself, but David is referencing Jesus. David understood in this Psalm, the deity of the Messiah, though the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, he is saying to, to, to those that had been gathered, you see, you had crucified this Christ, but now God is saying to him, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Peter made the point of saying this because he wanted to validate to them that he is the divine Messiah, this one that they crucified, if they hadn't already understood that he was the Christ when he quoted Psalm 16, let it be known when he quotes Psalm 110. He is truly the divine Christ. Even though you crucified him, he is in fact both Lord and Christ. You were wrong. You treated him as though he was a criminal. But by the very fact, the very fact that he resurrection, resurrected, God proved that he was the Lord's, he was Lord and Messiah. Sorry, my hand is completely numb. God proved that he was Lord and Messiah. So you now are standing here. You've had a demonstration of his power. You have had a demonstration. I'm speaking to you that this is the Messiah. So Peter gives them the message of truth because he's bringing home the game. He's bringing it home to make an, an altar call, if you want to say. He's going, next week we're going to pick it up. He's going to share with them and how many, we already know, 3,000 come to Christ that day. 
That's amazing numbers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit did not stop at the point of speaking in tongues. When Peter stood up and began to address the crowd, the Holy Spirit did not stop working. Just because the worship service is over and now we've segued into the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit does not stop working. The Holy Spirit keeps working and he will keep pointing your attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep pointing you to the need, to the recognition that you need a savior, that whatever you have faced this week, whatever you have faced the months prior, that without a savior, you could never have gone through those things. The Holy Spirit is the one that will make you aware that Jesus is with you always. He will open up your eyes to see there was, Lord, there was the Lord in that moment. When you were in a place of, of, of need and all of a sudden the provision comes, you, the Holy Spirit will quicken you to know that was God. That was God moving on your behalf. You know, this past week, it's a funny illustration, but it's true. My dog was terribly sick. Terribly sick. We, I honestly thought she was going to go into wherever dogs go when they die. I honestly thought. I mean, this poor thing, she was so sick. She was sicker than sick itself. And when I put her outside, like, like she was, she, I had to put her on the grass because she didn't know how to get to the grass. She's 15 years old. God bless her. She's an old thing. But anyways... I had to put her on the grass to do her, her business, and, and I kept praying. I said, Lord, I don't know what's wrong with her, but just touch her little body. And I would pet her, and I would pray for my dog. Okay, call me crazy, but I believe that God, when he gave us those animals in the garden, that he gave us, we could pray for them. We could pray for them. So anyways... Me and my mom, we just kept every day we would, how's she doing today? This dog wouldn't eat. She wouldn't drink. She was sick. We figured that she had caught kennel cough because she had this horrible cough. And uh, she, she doesn't go in, in public with other dogs, but she had come in contact with a dog through the fence that had just arrived from the States. So we think maybe through their kissing on the fence line, talking to each other, she got sick. But she was sick sick, sick, and I just kept praying and petting her and praying. And so from Wednesday night, when I went home Thursday morning, she began to be sick. Thursday, Saturday, Friday, she got worse. Saturday, she was worse. Sunday, when I left here and called home, how is she doing? Has she drank anything? Has she eaten anything? You had to spoon feed her. I thought for sure Monday morning I'd be calling the vet to help me, you know, put her out of distress. But I kept praying for this dog. And Monday morning, I got up, and she got up. And you know what? She went down the stairs beside me, and she went out on her own, went to the grass, then later on went and laid down. And when she woke up Monday afternoon, she was better. She was better. And so this morning, I get up. I go downstairs, and she's going down the stairs in front of me. And I looked at her, and in my mind, I kid you not, that's the hand of God. It's just an animal. It's just an animal. Maybe it's a silly example to you. I don't even care. I'll be vulnerable enough to say a silly example. But I'm going to tell you, through the prayers of, of faith... I think that the Lord could work. I know my, this, this evangelist visited my parents when they were in Brooklyn. And uh, he had a chicken that fell sick. And he kept praying for this chicken. Because this chicken gave them eggs. And those eggs gave them food. And so without this chicken, they didn't really have food to eat. Or other chicks that could come as a result if this chicken laid, laid little chicks. And so they wouldn't have future food. So he kept praying for this chicken that got sick. 
Day one, day two, day three. Then finally the Lord moved upon the, the chicken. The evangelist felt a little bit challenged in his heart. Why, Lord, are you testing me in such a way that I have to believe in you for this chicken? Well, this woman comes to him and, and her husband had passed away. Well, this man's chicken had ended up passing away and he prayed that the Lord would raise it from the dead because he, his family relied upon that chicken. And so again, he, he couldn't understand, but he felt compelled. And the Lord then brings to him, as the Lord stretched his faith in the situation of that chicken, he was able to pray for this woman, for her husband who had been dead, and her husband came back to life. Why? Because his faith was stretched. His faith was stretched. I started out tonight by saying the Holy Spirit would stretch our faith as we look into this. Because you have to teach yourself to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because if you park it at the Holy Spirit only works among the tongues, then you will never think he's working in a church service. But look to see where he is moving. You know that brother that seems to be moved to tears? You know that sister that's putting your head down? The Holy Spirit is moving upon those people. And if he should draw your attention to it, you know what? In that moment, you could pray for them in the service. Pray for them because the Holy Spirit will use your prayers to minister to that need. This is what we can learn because Peter was able to quote of David. But why was he able to quote of David? Because Jesus spoke of it and Jesus spoke into his understanding and opened up his understanding. But why was Peter able to remember? Because the Holy Spirit's role was to bring back to his recollection all that he had learned. And so there are times in the moment God will have you to say something, not because you prepared an exhortation, not because you prepared anything to say to a person, but in the moment the Holy Spirit will draw it up out of you. Why? Because that is his role. Learn to see him daily in your life. Because as you take time to recognize the Holy Spirit daily in your life, you will see the workings of Jesus in your life. And as you see the workings of Jesus in your life, your faith will grow. And as your faith grow, other people around you will catch that. It's not just the role of the pastor to bring forth the word of God, but you can bring forth the word of God wherever he plants you, wherever he leads you. Just learn to see the Holy Spirit in everything. When you're reading a scripture, it doesn't even stop at Acts 2. But whenever you're reading the scripture, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus in this scripture. I close with this story. Years ago, I had done uh, a study on this book of Songs of Solomon. And if you know me, you know that I love that whole book. With um, a group of young people. And uh, it was during the summer. And I says, if you guys want, we'll just, ha we'll just do one week. And we'll meet every single day in the church library. And we'll talk about the Songs of Solomon. And I says, this is one thing that we're going to ask. Show us Jesus. So every day we, we read a chapter and we would discuss what was happening in that chapter. What was happening in that song, in that moment? Where was Jesus? And by the end, when we reached Song of Solomon 8, the final chapter, one of the young men said, Wow, I never thought I would see Jesus in this book. I never thought I would see as much as I saw. Why? Because we asked him. And when we asked, the Holy Spirit revealed. When you're reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit is there as your teacher. He's there as your counselor. He's there as your helper. You don't understand what you just read? Holy Spirit, help me. I, I don't get it. He'll teach you. He'll help you to get it. All of a sudden that week, you'll read another passage and it will illuminate what you read. You'll go to church and the pastor will speak and all of a sudden it will draw your devotion back to you and you'll say, that's what it meant. That you call upon the Holy Spirit and he will point you to Jesus. 
Don't miss what he's doing. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are alive. You are active in our day-to-day affairs. And Holy Spirit, we just want to say thank you for your illumination, in, even into tonight's passage. As simple as it may be, God, we see the move of your Holy Spirit on Peter's life. This scaredy cat, this chicken had boldness. Would you give us that boldness? Would you rise up within us? And would you bring to our remembrance, as you brought to Peter's remembrance, your workings, your doings. Have your way in our lives, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, for those of us who, those of you who joined us online tonight, thank you for joining us. God bless you. God be with you. We want to see you Sunday morning as Pastor continues his um, series in Gideon. It's been a great series. Um, series of deliverance, series of empowerment, series. It, you just don't want to miss it. it. You would taste of it and feel what God is doing if you showed up here. We understand and respect if you can't and that you have to watch us online, but God be with you and bless you. Bye for now. <laughs>